This is Admission Granted, brought to you by Upstate Medical University Admissions. And in this series, we are discussing the ins and outs of applying to and entering the field of medicine. Welcome back for our sixth episode of Admission Granted. We're going to be wrapping up our last key, which is timing and making sure that everything gets tied together regarding the application process. And the final thing we're going to talk about today is the interview process for medical school. We thought this was a really important aspect to the admissions process, and so we wanted to make sure that we touched on some of the basics here. So if you're only looking to get information about the interview process and how to prepare for the interview for medical school, skip to about 13 minutes into this video. Otherwise, stay tuned, where we're going to go over a summary of all the things we've talked about and what order to do all the necessary components of the application to medical school. So first, let's wrap up our six keys. And if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that our six keys consist of one, GPA and coursework, two, MCAT, three, research, four, volunteering and extracurricular activities, five, AMCAS, and now our sixth key, which is timing and tying everything together. Within our six keys, we hope to have laid out the framework for you to be able to be as successful as possible when applying to medical school, and it's going to make you the best possible applicant. But we also know that we've gone over a lot of information in our six keys, and sometimes the timing of things can get a little bit muddy, especially when you're talking about things like research and extracurriculars and doing things that may not necessarily have a right time. So we just wanted to make sure that we provided a brief review here of all of the different things that you want to hit and suggest some good time frames that you want to hit these possible avenues that you could take, um, just because I think it can get a little bit confusing sometimes. And so we just wanted to hammer home a couple key points here. So we're going to start in chronological order. So we're going to start from as early as possible, and we're going to end with the things that you need to do the latest in the cycle. So if you people are still in high school, the first thing that I would recommend doing if anybody who's listening is in high school and interested in medicine is volunteer. There's tons of great volunteer programs that you can get involved in at local hospitals or local health centers. And I think it gives you a great idea of what medicine's like. It really gets your foot in the door. And it's also great to start building kind of your resume up and also to start to just get those clinical skills that you're going to need eventually. So if you're in high school still, that's really the first thing that I would recommend regarding the timing of the things you want to do. Now, the second thing I would say is once you get to campus, if you're if you're in college as a freshman or whenever you decide you wanted to go pre-med, I would recommend meeting with your pre-med advisor or your whatever your health committee is, meeting with that head person and just start a dialogue, you know, ask for their advice, you know, make sure that you're taking the right courses and at which time. They're a really valuable resource and it allows you to make a real personal connection with them early. So when it comes time to do your committee interview, you know, you're going to have a good reputation and a, and a good rapport with that person. So the next big thing is fitting in, you know, your clinical, your clinical volunteering as well as your research, right? So I don't think there's a right answer in terms of the timing for this, but I do think that both are equally as important and are both, you know, very important. So for me, I got involved in research my sophomore year in college. I think that that doesn't have to be the case. You can do it uh, maybe after the summer, after your junior year or your senior year, depending on when you want to apply. You can even wait if you plan on doing gap years and you can do your research in your gap years. But you do want to make sure that you fit that in at some point in your uh, educational career or your, you know, your postgraduate career. So um, I think it really is up to the individual when you want to fit in research. And that goes also for, for volunteering. I think it's really important to not overshadow the volunteering aspect because I think a lot of people forget about the clinical work because they're so focused on research. So I think it's really important just to make sure that you're finding a balance, uh, especially with your coursework and all your other extracurriculars. But make sure that you're getting involved with this, ideally getting involved in sometime in college and making sure that it's a, you know, a, spans a couple years. Again, it shows that dedication. Um, you know, these are all things that we've talked about within our various keys, but just make sure that at some point in your career, you're doing it and make sure that if you're interested in medicine, start it start as early as possible. I mean, clinical volunteering is something that you can start as early as possible and it will never hurt and it can only help. So I would really recommend doing that as soon as you can, but definitely try to fit it in in your undergraduate career if you can. And also, don't forget about shadowing. Shadowing is another really important aspect of the application that some people also often also overlook as well. So um, I would really recommend getting involved in some type of shadowing. You can even do it for you know a couple weeks in the summer. It doesn't have to be as big of a commitment as say the research or the volunteering does, but getting involved and you know find a physician that you have a connection with, just walk around their practice, you know follow them around, ask them good questions, make sure you're engaged and involved. Even for a couple weeks, you know you could even maybe do two two or three different doctors that you're of some specialties you're interested in. But I really would recommend at least getting some shadowing experience as well. So just kind of a reminder not to forget that. And you can, again, do that as early as possible. For me, I did that actually the summer after my freshman year in college. Uh, I shadowed, but you can really do it at any time. Um, but just make sure that that's another piece that you don't want to be forgetting about. So the next big piece, I think, is really kind of deciding when you want to take your MCAT or your standardized test, right? So 
for me, that came uh, my senior year and I ended up taking one gap year. And so I think, again, with all these things, it's really important to kind of figure out what piece of the puzzle all of these things fit for you, right? So just really be mindful of this. And I think it's important to kind of fit these things into your timeline. So just make sure that you're allotting usually around six months to study for the MCAT. It can vary by the individual, but just make sure that you give yourself ample time to be able to study, especially if you're doing other things, like if you're in college or if you have a full-time job, make sure that you just make sure you allocate that time and really spend the time necessary in order to study and take that test. Ideally, you want to take it a couple months before you actually apply. So you'd want to take it in the spring or even the winter before the, of the June that you plan on applying to medical school. So for me, that was the spring, I believe it was the winter or spring of my senior year. So just make sure that you are mindful of all these time frames again, because if you take, you can take it in June still, but if you do take it in June, that's your last chance, right? Cause you're going to get that score back in July and then you have to submit that score with your secondaries. So it does make sure you ideally want to do it before June, but you can take it in June and still get it back. But these are just the, some of the things you want to start thinking about when you're taking your standardized tests. And the other standardized test you want to think about is the Casper exam. That's the uh, kind of situational ethics judgment based exam that you're going to have to take. You're going to want to probably take that in sometime in June. Uh, it takes about a month to grade. So and you want to be make sure that you're sending that with your secondaries that come in July. So I would recommend taking it sometime in June. It's not that big of a time commitment. You can study a little bit for it. And you generally will just re really you can study by just being yourself and make sure that you're kind of getting familiar with the question. So it's not a huge time commitment, but I would just make sure that that's something you want to definitely get done in June. That way you can send it along without any delay uh, with your secondaries in July. So just keep that in mind. And so the last big piece of timing that we really wanted to talk about is fitting all the pieces together that fit into your AMCAS application, right? And that starts with your personal statement. So ideally, you want to write your personal statement about a year ahead of when you actually plan on applying, because that gives you a lot of leeway for a bunch of different things. It gives you the ability to provide that personal statement to all of your letter writers. So they get a little bit of a better understanding about who you are, if they haven't known you for a while, uh, maybe you haven't taken their course for a while. And it just gives them a little bit more information about why you want to be a doctor and why you're choosing the field that you're choosing. So it's also really important for the committee letter, because if you can provide that to your committee letter interviewer, which generally is the head of your pre-health department, uh, your undergraduate institution, it's going to allow them to, again, it shows that you have a lot of dedication and also lets them get a little bit better understanding of who you are and why you want to be a doctor. So I think it's important to have not just for those two reasons, but it also allows you to just get one piece of the application, you know, checked off, right? Um, so it's important to do that as soon as you can. And it also helps you start to think about why you want to be a doctor, right? And, and it gives you, it starts getting you in that grind of, of kind of understanding and thinking in terms of the application cycle. So going along with this, right, the next piece of the puzzle is making sure that you ask all your letter writers. Again, I would aim to do it a good year ahead of when you end up planning on applying in that June. So it gives them ample time to be able to make sure that, again, you can update them with things like your personal statement, your resume gets, you know, allows them to let you get to know you a little bit better. Again, I would really try to go in person and meet with them and hand them a packet of all your information. Um, and so make sure that you're doing that as early as possible. Again, that's kind of a recurring theme here, but make sure that you give all your letter writers ample time. And so, again, the next kind of big piece then is the committee letter interview. And I would recommend doing that probably sometime in the fall if you're going to apply that, that summer in June. You're going to want to do it the previous fall. Sometime in that in that time frame, you want to make sure that you're preparing. You know, you're, you're reading over your personal statement. You have that prepared. You have all your letter writers done. And, you know, you can start to prepare for the actual interview itself. So, you know, find the pieces of of all of your experiences that you've done and connect them to something you've learned and that you can be able to talk about, go over your research, make sure you understand all your publications, uh, just kind of prepare and go through that interview, hopefully sometime in the fall. That way it gives the committee uh, an ample amount of time to allow to write your letter and actually be able to send it on time when you submit your primary application, because it can take a while for them to do this because they're going to interview everyone in your year that, or not even in your year, who's just applying in your cycle that's ever been in your institution. So uh, make sure you get that done as early as possible. That's, I think, kind of the next big thing of the timing that I would recommend. And a lot of people kind of sleep on that. And I think it's something that if you can get done as early as possible, it will really help your application and not hold you up. And then, of course, the very last piece is the application itself, right? Make sure you're getting that done in late May, early June. I wouldn't send it any later than that first week of June. But I, if I was, if I had the ability, I would probably try and get most of it done and pre-written in that application window where it's usually late May, you get a, you get about a week or two where you can access the AMCAS application without actually submitting it. And so you can basically pre-write and pre-fill in all the information. And then right when it comes live at the end of May, you can hit that submit button. That's what I would recommend doing because again, the whole cycle is just a game of who can get there first, really. And so 
I think it really helps to get all these things done faster because it's a rolling admission. So the sooner you get your stuff out, the sooner med schools will be able to, to see your applications and the better chance you have of getting in. And so again, once you submit that, hopefully late May, early June, immediately start writing those secondary applications. You know, look up, go to Student Doctor Network, look up all those secondary applications, start to pre-write those, get as many applications as you can already pre-written. And again, they'll change once you get them back, right? They're not going to be exactly the same, but you'll have a good framework and you'll be able to start plugging in essays where they need to go and you can start changing and modifying and writing new ones. But it gives you a step up if you start to do that in June. And then again, your applications will probably start coming in in July, early July. So start making sure that you're filling those out and churning those out as soon as possible. This will probably be honestly the the most stressful part of your application cycle is getting those secondaries and having to do all of them. But making sure that they're done as soon as possible is going to be so key to making sure that you get seen as early as possible. And it's going to give you really just the best chance possible. So I think that's really what we wanted to talk about and wrap up about really the timing of all these. But there's a couple kind of concluding things that we wanted to make sure that you guys are just thinking about. And we want to make sure that we also emphasize and the things that we may have not talked about previously. So one thing to keep in mind is to stay a well-rounded applicant for medical school. So to be well-rounded, you want to have something that you're passionate about, maybe an extracurricular you enjoy, whether that's a a club sport uh, or an orchestra or a band that you're a part of, just something that you can speak about in an interview, let's say, or that you can write about in a secondary essay, something that you're passionate about that makes you stand out from others, and it will help you stay balanced throughout your studies, throughout your undergraduate career. Yeah, I think it's important just to even just keep your mind up and stay sane while this whole pre-med process, right? It can be really overwhelming, but I think finding things outside of medicine that you really are connected with and that you have fun with and that you can stay active with will help you not just not burn out, but it's also, it's just great to have connections and have have fun outside of medicine, right? And I think that's really important to not just kind of hyper-focus on, you know, your medical career before it even starts, right? Make sure that you're still having fun and that you're doing all the things that you love to do and that you're not sacrificing those things to, you know, pursue your pre-med career. So just make sure that you're kind of staying grounded and take a deep breath, make sure that you're relaxing. And, you know, everybody knows that this process is really stressful, but, you know, finding things to do that you love, making sure that you're making time for the people that you love and just kind of just taking a deep breath and really just understanding that, you know, you're going to get through it and just really being methodical and taking your time and doing things as early as possible in the kind of the order that we've discussed, I think will take a lot of that stress towards the end off. And it's just going to help you so much throughout the process. So I think those are kind of the really big things we wanted to talk about. And, you know, we know it's going to be really challenging, but it's so worth it in the end. You know, we're here sitting in medical school and we, we couldn't be you know more excited about the futures that we've chosen for ourselves. And so we're really excited that you're also embarking on this journey. And we hope that we've given you a good framework to work off of with our six keys. And we truly believe that if you follow our six keys and you make sure that you're doing everything as soon as possible and that you're hitting all the basics and the big points that you need to hit for your application, you're going to be really successful and you're going to get into you know your top medical school and whatever medical schools that you choose to attend uh, would be lucky to have you. So um, with that, I think we're kind of going to end our kind of six key discussion. And we want to move into the really the last piece that is so important for your application. And that's the interview. So first of all, if you've made it this far, congratulations, you're almost done. You guys are so close to getting into medical school, right? The last part, the last key piece is nailing the interview. And we're going to give you some keys to help with that. So you will typically start to hear back about interviews around mid-August, if, especially if you've been keeping up with your timing and submitting everything as early as possible. So around that mid-August time is when you'll probably hear about your first interviews. And these interviews get released on a rolling basis. And we definitely recommend doing these interviews as soon as possible. Don't wait and schedule them out weeks or even months later. Yeah, I think a common predicament that students get stuck with is they get their interviews and they're debating on whether they should schedule them early and then they'll have less time to prep or whether they should push them out a little bit later so it gives them more time to study. But of course, they're interviewing later in the process. And in my opinion, I think the best way to kind of mitigate this is make sure that you start prepping basically in early as soon as you submit all of your secondaries, take a little, take a second, right? Take a break, right? When you're done, hopefully in late kind of late June time, late July time frame, excuse me, when you're finishing your secondaries in late July, you're going to want to make sure that you're just kind of taking a deep breath and then really just kind of start studying for interviews. And we're going to give you all the tips on how to study. But I think that's just something to keep in mind with the time frame is that if you start prepping in early August, no matter when you get your interviews, right, let's say mid late August, you start getting your interviews. And again, this could also go all the way through literally to the next summer. I mean, you could get you could have six, a six month, seven month span where you could be getting interviews, right. But the earliest you'll hear is probably mid late August. So 
if you start getting those in or in you know late mid August, um, you'll be prepared if you start studying right after you submit your secondaries, regardless of when they come in. That way, you can schedule them as soon as possible. But if again, if you do get pushing that and pushing that to that kind of like, oh man, I, I I don't know if I should should wait because I don't think I'm prepared. My my advice would be schedule them before October fifteenth. So. If you even if you don't feel like you're going to be as prepared, I really truly believe because October 15th is the day that all the medical schools can send their first acceptance letters. They all can send their acceptance letters by October 15th. That's just the day that they're allowed to send medical letters to students. So if you interview anytime before that, you won't hear back till October 15th. And you'll probably hear back on that day for all the schools that you've interviewed at before that time frame. And so a lot of med schools send out a lot of their acceptances at this day. So I think it's really important if you can to try an interview if you can before that day. So if you get, you know, if you're stuck in that predicament where you're like, oh man, I don't know if I should push it out a little bit, I would recommend doing it at least a week before October 15th, because that way you'll be able to be in that first applicant pool for when they send out their first acceptances. So if you had to, I would recommend taking it early and just really trying to prep early as, as early as you possibly can to mitigate that. But if you had to, if you're stuck in a crunch, schedule it as early as possible. So now let's jump into the actual structure of the interviews you will experience. And we'll talk about kind of what to expect from them. So the first interview style we want to talk about is the traditional interview. So a brief overview of the traditional interview and what to expect with that is two separate around 30 minute interviews, one with typically a student, a medical student, and one with a faculty member at that medical school. And then the second interview style is called the MMI, which is multiple mini interview. And this can range from anywhere from nine plus different rooms of interviews that you can experience. And this will be with either faculty members or students. And they're typically shorter interviews around maybe five to seven minutes long. And those can even include ethical scenarios. But we'll get more into that in a minute. Um, and then the third interview style is hybrid. So that can include both a traditional interview style as well as some MMI styles combined. And another thing to remember about these interviews, especially in today's state, is that these can occur virtually over Zoom for some medical schools or they could be in person. So first, we wanted to go over some kind of just general basic interview questions. Uh, these are questions that you can get on either type of, of interview style, whether it's traditional or MMI. Um, so they're just really good things that you're going to want to have and you're, some answers that you're going to want to be able to give um, to for basically any interview and just so you're prepared. And you can start preparing for this again right after you submit your secondaries in July. So the first question is really just why you want to be a doctor. And I think this is something that you've talked about in your personal statement, because I believe that's pretty much the subject of the personal statement. But you know, it's, it's another opportunity for them to just kind of get to know you better. And, you know, this is really the core of why you're applying to medical school, right? So it's important to have a good answer for this question. So I think, you know, you can use your, your personal statement as kind of a framework, but again, just to kind of briefly go over it. And we talked about it a little bit when we talked about the personal statement in one of our keys, but, um, you just kind of want to be able to compile your experiences and all the extracurriculars that you've done, you know, your research experience, your clinical experience, your shadowing experience, maybe you have some work experience, you know, all the things that you've done relating to and not relating to medicine, really just kind of go over your resume and find a point on your resume and, you know, point, be able to point to it and say, okay, here's what I learned from this piece. Here's what I learned from this piece and why I think it would make me a good physician and why it's made me, you know, why it's furthered my desire to pursue medicine, right? So like, you know, if you've had a really powerful volunteer experience, you know, I, for example, I worked in a hospice unit and I had some really great experiences there, you know, be able to learn, you know, talk about what you've learned from that experience and be able to then offer up how it's made you, you know, how it's going to make you a better doctor, you know, maybe your research has taught you dedication and, you know, attention to detail. And, you know, it's, it's allowed me to practice, you know, take the learnings that I've learned in school about medicine, you know, about science and practice it hands on, you know, that's really what medicine's about, like, you know, Find, be able to point to all of your experiences and be able to talk about them professionally and, and, and really, you know, concisely as well. You want to make sure that when you're doing this and you're practicing all these things, you know, go in a mirror, practice in front of a mirror, practice in front of your parents, your peers, your friends, be able to make sure that you can basically regurgitate this, right, almost on command. You want it to sound, of course, like you're having a conversation with the person, but you want to make sure that you have, this is one of the most important things you want to have down. Make sure that you know your resume, you know, left and right, up and down, and make sure that you can have something to say about every single experience in terms of what you've learned, what you've gained, and how it's going to make you a better doctor. I think that's really the first kind of and the biggest thing you want to prepare for when kind of thinking about the interview. And so the next thing I think you want to do is is first just I think it's important to 
understand our current healthcare system, right? So, you know, AAMC is actually a great resource. They have a lot of great tabs about kind of understanding our current healthcare system. Um, and you can also, of course, use different scientific articles, you know, reputable websites, just make sure you're kind of understanding like, you know, how insurance agencies work, right? You know, how our, how our, uh, you know, how our healthcare has changed since, you know, since basically the Affordable Care Act and how the new administration has, you know, changed things, you know, basically just kind of understand what the current healthcare system is, because I think that's really important. You may not necessarily get a question exactly describing this, right? But like, I think having this knowledge is going to be a great framework. So if you do get in an MOI question, something that maybe relates to something about the structure of healthcare, right, you may be able to just have a little bit more of an understanding about how it works. And then you can kind of speak, you know, more coherently and and much much more accurately about the situation. I think that will impress them. So take a, take a few minutes and just kind of familiarize yourself with kind of the, the state of our current healthcare system. And so kind of related to that, I think the next big question and point you want to have is find a couple. I would say find three points about what's wrong in healthcare. So there's tons of things you know in our country that that you know can be improved in our healthcare system. And I think knowing kind of those weak points, knowing I would say pick three, right? Pick three weaknesses in our healthcare system that maybe could be improved upon. You know, educate yourself on, on some of the weaknesses, right? Find find some things that maybe are wrong, and then have some points that you can be able to give that can essentially you know help that situation, right? Find some solutions. You know, they're going to be hypothetical. We're just medical students, right? But to be able to identify a problem with our healthcare system and then be able to pose a solution, a potential solution, it's just going to have, you're going to be ready to, for, for any type of question that revolves around, you know, what's maybe something that you would, that you hope to prove maybe in your own practice, like, you know, how can you improve medicine as a whole? You know, what can you do? These, these questions are good to start thinking about. It's just good to have in the back of your pocket, you know, just in case there ever comes up a question where, you know, they ask about some problems in healthcare or if you have any solutions of what you would do better in medicine, essentially, right? It's just good to have these just in case it comes up. So you can also use AAMC as a great resource for this. They have basically entire pages and, and, and subsections within their website dedicated. If you literally just go and Google like AAMC problems with healthcare, you can find a whole comprehensive list of, of all of improvements that AAMC is taking initiatives to make. And, you know, they have tons of different scientific articles and, and different points that they've made about here's some problems with, you know, with medical education, here's problems with different types of our healthcare system. And here's ways that, you know, people or organizations or we can actively help to make that better. And so using AAMC as a resource for that is a great reputable source that will help you get some information quickly and, um, you know, very accurately. So I would recommend maybe start your search by just kind of scouring AAMC's website and kind of getting more knowledge about not only just how the healthcare system works, but also, you know, what are some of its weaknesses? And then, you know, what are some things that you might be able to do? And we might be able to do as physicians to be able to improve that. Okay, so the last kind of traditional basic thing uh, that you can kind of go over is just some very standard generic interview questions, stuff you'd hear at any job interview, right? So like, you know, what are some of your strengths? What are some of your weaknesses, right? What is like an obstacle you've overcome? You know, is there a conflict with a superior that you've ever had? And you know, how have you dealt with that conflict with, with the boss, you know? So I think having just these very basic questions you know, that you can answer, you know, you may not get them, but uh, they're just great interview skills to have. And, and I think, you know, you never know, right? Anyone can always add those questions are always fair game when you're dealing with an interview, right? So I think it's important not to overlook the kind of very basic, just kind of tell me about yourself, you know, where'd you grow up, you know, like, just if someone asks you, tell me about yourself, you also need to have an answer for that, right? So there's just the very basic interview questions, you could Google just like standard interview questions and just kind of practice your responses to those. But I think it's just important not to overlook those. And specifically with the weakness, I just wanted to mention one thing. If somebody asks you, you know, what's a weakness that you have? I think it's important to think very tactically about your answer to this. I think it's, for me at least, I thought of it's important to, to pick something that is, you don't want to, you want to be truthful, right? You want to find something that truly is a weakness of yours, but you want to make sure that it's not something that would make you look like you're not fit for medicine, right? So like, I wouldn't pick a weakness that maybe shows that you're not good at working with others or that you're not compassionate or caring, right? I mean, hopefully we, we all possess these you know, these qualities if we're going into medicine. So you want to pick a weakness that's kind of strategic, honestly. So like for me as an example, so like I had a lot of trouble, um, you know, public speaking and doing presentations. So like I had public speaking as a weakness of mine that I was able to talk about. And I think with your weakness, something that's important that you want to talk about as well is how have you taken steps to improve that weakness, you know, since you've been able to identify it, right? And so for me, you know, I worked in a lab and I had, uh, you know, I had a lot of trouble with poster, you know, presenting my, my research in poster conferences. And so I made it, I made sure that I went and practiced 
presenting my posters um, to my classmates and to my PI, you know, every week. And I scheduled, you know, a bunch of different poster conferences. So I got really, you know, it kind of forced me to get really good at talking about my work and talking to others and being able to present in front of big groups. And so, you know, that kind of helped me get through that, right? And so I think it's important to have um, a rebuttal to that of them say, okay, here's your weakness, you know, what, what are some things maybe you've done to, to kind of improve that? And that's something that you can also offer up even if they don't ask, right? Here's a weakness, but here's what I've done to, to improve it, right? So again, just those traditional interview questions, just make sure you have answers to those. And, and it's always, it can't hurt to practice those. And so I also wanted to make sure that I touched on kind of the school specific questions. You know, this may be general for any different school. You want to have answers for all the schools you're applying to for this question, but it's something that you can wait until you get each individual school back. But maybe if you're, if you're, you know, running out of things to prep for, you could start to find, you know, your top schools or schools that you think are good fits for you and start this process for each school. But it's definitely something that when you get an interview, you're going to want to do for each and every school. And that's just kind of basically find out all the information you can about their program. So you know, start by just scouring their website, go to almost every single tab on their website, find things that you like, find things that you know, you think you're interested in. So, you know, maybe there's a maybe there's, you know, a brand new addition to their hospital that you think is really great, you know, I think, or there's, you know, you find a really a unique program that you're really interested in, or a club, you know, I think there's a some key things that you can hit on, you know, first, you want to make sure that you are familiar with their curriculum, right? Is it organ based? Is it, you know, is it systems based? Is it, you know, there, there's different ways that they can lay out their curriculum. Maybe it's a three-year curriculum. Maybe it's a four-year curriculum. You know, there's different ways to lay out, you know, basically the educational plan. So I think being familiar with the curriculum and finding, you know, what you might like about that is something that's good to have. Um, also, you know, again, find maybe a club. There's tons of student clubs at all schools and maybe, maybe find a club that you're interested in. Maybe it's something that's like a sport or maybe it's, you know, a type of, uh, you know, interest group. Maybe it's an, you know, orthopedic surgeon interest group or it's a, you know, um, women in medicine group or something like that, you know, something that you find that you're really passionate about that you can relate to. Um, I think it's good to have to be able to, to offer up in, in a conversation. Um, and then so I also think you want to find something like clinically that you like about the school, right? So like, something that you maybe maybe you like that they give a lot of clinical, you know, clinical experience really early, right? It's built into their curriculum early, or maybe there's like a preceptor program, right? It links you with, you know, another physician, and, and you have to go into the you've shadowed them around in the clinic in your early years, you know, find something. So not just about the education that you like, but also about the clinical education that you really like, maybe there's a, a unique course that provides a lot of clinical experience, right? Find something so you know, kind of, you know, with the hard science that you like, and find something clinically that you like about the school. I think those are kind of good points to have. Um, and I also would, if would find something about like research, for example, you know, I had a lot of research going into to medical school and, you know, it's something that I know that I wanted to continue in medical school. Um, and so, you know, when I would apply to each school, I would kind of basically scour their, their website for all of their active professors and professors that were involved in research. And, you know, I, I would find a couple professors or maybe one that their research interests really aligned with mine. And that way I could, you know, if somebody asked me what I was interested about the school, you know, I could say, oh, I really love this professor's research because he does very similar to what I do. I think I'd be a great addition, you know, to be able to help, um, um, you know, it's just something that I would be thinking about. You know, I like that the school has this type of research to offer, right? I think that also shows that you're really dedicated and that you, you know, are really passionate about what you're doing and that, you know, you think you could be a good fit for the school. So find something research-based also that you're interested in. And so I think kind of having those big points um, are, will help you. And the the last kind of the fifth big point in terms of school specific is also if you have any connection to the school, make sure you're able to talk about that and can bring it up in a conversation, right? Maybe you're from the area, you grew up there, maybe you went to college in the area, right? Or you know, people you have extended family or friends, you've spent an extended period of time in that area where the med school is, right? I think med schools really want to see that you have a connection to the region. It just helps if, if you can. Um, because I think, you know, you have a better chance of, of potentially, you know, extending and, and you know, settling down and living there or being able to actually have your practice there, right? So, um, you know, I, I think any type of tie that you have to the school, even if you have family members that work in the school, right, you have uh, any really any connection is the time to bring that out and make sure that you know your connections and can talk about them if it comes up in an interview, because it's just going to connect you personally to the school and potentially to the interviewer. So, I think those kind of those five big things, right? Find something about the curriculum, find a club, an extracurricular organization, uh, something clinically that you like, um, a research interest of yours, and then any geography or any connection that you have to the school, I think is really going to help kind of having those five key points to be able to bring up, you know, you're going to be really well covered when someone asks you, you know, why do you want to go to our school specifically? And I think that quite that's a that's a common question that could come up. So I think it's important to just make sure you have a good answer to that. And I think if you cover those five points, you're going to be able to answer that question with flying colors. 
And before I forget, for the very last thing you want to have is you want to also be able to offer up a question that you have about the school, right? It shows that you're engaged and that you're interested in learning more about the school. So find something that maybe you have a question on, maybe, you know, asking about, is there a program, you know, I really was involved in a lot of this clinical work, right? Is there anything that I could, con- is there a way I could continue this into medical school, right? Or, you know, what programs do you have to offer that align with this interest? Or maybe it's a question about the curriculum, you know, have, you know, t- maybe two or three, one or two at least questions that you can ask your interviewer if they ask, you know, do you have any questions at the end of the interview? I think that's all also really important to make sure you have. Okay, so we've gone over kind of the big general kind of interview questions that you can use to prep for basically any of the schools and all the interviews, but we wanted to talk kind of a little bit about the nitty gritty information regarding each specific interview so you can best prepare for each specific style. So when you get back, when you hear back about your interviews, they'll tell you what specific style and they'll, they'll lay out all the format of what you of everything you need to know about the interviews. And so, you know, you can kind of cater your, your interview and your study style based on what they tell you. But if they tell you that it's going to be traditional interviews, so generally, again, that consists of usually two interviews, about 30 minutes each from a faculty member and a student. So, um, again, kind of the big things you want to make sure that you're hitting for this is, you know, any of those basic interview questions that we talked about before are all fair game, right? They can really ask you anything. And so you have to be prepared to be able to talk about yourself really well. And so I think, again, that kind of goes with just making sure you read over your personal statement, right? Because they can have any of the application pieces from your application in their hand in a file that they can ask you about. So make sure you know all of your research, right? You go, if you have any publications, read over your publications, make sure you know all of your experiences. And again, like to talk about in the committee letter. And as I talked about before in this episode, make sure you can point to every single you know, experience that you've done, whether it's clinical research, or maybe it's an extracurricular or it's volunteering, anything that you've done and be able to tell, you know, to, to be able to explain why that's made you, you know, what you've learned from that experience and how it's made you a better physician, right? What's the experience and the knowledge that you've gained, right? Um, So being able to have one piece and make, ideally, there are different things, right? So different attributes. So like research is dedication, clinical experience is compassion and working with a team, like, you know, have different aspects and and for each experience and basically be able to talk about how it's made you the the person that you are and why you think it makes you the best doctor possible. So um, I think, you know, having answers to those questions are just kind of standard for any interview that you should have. Um, And I think, you know, as we talked about before for the school specific questions, you definitely want to make sure you have, you know, all of the school specific information as we just talked about, make sure you have all that information that you have on, you know, on hand that you can use. Um, and also, again, make sure you can ask them questions at the end, because they'll probably ask you, you know, you know, what are some questions you have for me, right, or about the school. So make sure you have all those as well. And in terms of like strategy, kind of like the the real like, what kind of are some strategies that you can use to stand out in the in, in the traditional interview, you know, something that I've kind of learned is, it's a fine. It's kind of a fine line because they they you're you're there to have a conversation. I personally love the traditional interview as opposed to the MMI because you really get to know the person, right? And you get to really just have a, an honest conversation. So I think you want to make sure that you're being you know you're relaxed. You're you're making sure that you're sitting in your chair. You're not sitting you know you're not too slunched. You're not slouched over, but you're not you know sitting completely upright and and you're looking stiff, right? Or leaned over in your chair. I think it's good to you know kind of be sitting back. You know you can able to use your hands and, and make good eye contact. Um, again, looking comfortable, not too slouched, but not too much leaning forward. Again, it's kind of a fine line. But um, so I think that's kind of important to think about, obviously, of course, making eye contact. And I think something that's really important is finding a good connection with the interviewer. And of course, that's easier said than done. But something that I've found is that if you, you know, they're there to get to know you, they're there to ask you questions, right? But if you're there to also get to know them, I think it makes it a lot more natural. So, you know, if they ask you a question of something, you know, maybe tell me about yourself or, you know, it's, it's something more specific, like, you know, what are some fields that you're interested in, right? Like, um, it's good to also be able to ask them questions about how, you know, about themselves, right? So if they're a student, you know, how, how have you thought the first year has been going, right? Tell me a little bit about your first year experience here. Or, you know, if it's a, if it's a faculty member, you know, like, oh, um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about your research? Like, have you been enjoying the field that you're in? You know, what are some things that you, that you do clinically? You know, being able to ask them questions and can, I think that it just, it just allows, you know, it makes it seem like it's less of a one-way, you know, one-way street where they're just like berating questions at you, right? It's good to be able to have a, you know, a real conversation and get to know your interviewer as well. And pay attention when you're doing this to kind of what they kind of lean towards and talk more about, you know, maybe the professor loves their research, and they start talking about their research a lot. And you kind of can tell that they're really interested in talking about that. Or maybe they have like a daughter or, you know, or if it's a if it's a med student, maybe they have like a program that they started that they're really interested in. If you can find something that they're interested in and get them talking about it, and you can connect to that in some way, it's going to be such a strong connection. Like if you can find something, you know, you know, you don't want to like, 
put on a persona and, and, you know, make it seem like you're, you're, you're connecting with them artificially. But if you can find an interest of yours and have it align with an interest of theirs and start talking about it, it's going to be a great connection. So, you know, maybe, maybe like if it's a student, you know, he, maybe they say they have a program that they started, they have a clinic that they started, you know, or that they work at and on campus where they, you know, help the less fortunate people of the city that you're in. And they have like a free clinic or something like that. And if you have something that you'd be really interested in, maybe you have a volunteer experience that you've had before that's very similar to that and you had a positive experience or maybe you're really interested in doing that type of work right don't make something up just to connect with them but find something that's true about yourself and connect it to something that they're interested in and if you can get them talking about that and have a conversation regarding that I think it's going to make a big impact and it's going to be really great for both you and the interviewer it's going to have you're just going to have such a better conversation so you know finding those those times and those points to ask them questions I think and get them talking about themselves can show a lot, a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of maturity and a lot of, um, just good opportunity to be able to connect with them. So I would recommend finding it's again, it also is really a fine line. You don't want to make it seem like you're hijacking the interview, but you know, finding any time in those, in those lines of conversation, maybe after you give an explanation about yourself, you ask, you know, what about you? What are you interested in? Right. Or, you know, you know, I know that you're a ex professor or you do this at school, right. You know, how, how have you been liking, you know, what are some things that you do? Just, finding those small moments to be able to ask those questions. And then maybe it leads to a greater conversation about something that's completely off topic that you both are really interested in. Those are the kinds of interviews that are really going to stand out. So just be kind of mindful of that to try to get to know them as much as they're trying to get to know you, I think is something that's important to think about. And I think the best way to really to do this is to just, again, practice with the people you know, right? You can practice with your mom, with your dad, with, with your, you know, your siblings, with your friends, you know, just have them sit down and ask you questions and just be able to try to talk to them. And you can even do it if you're alone into a mirror, right? I mean, just being able to practice these verbally out loud is so much different than rehearsing in your head. And I think that's something that's really important to think about for all of this prep work is to make sure that you're doing it with others and, and really getting a lot of good practice. And they're going to give you a lot of feedback about how you're looking, right? You want to make sure that you're not fidgeting too much, right? You're not playing with your hair too much. You're not, you know, if you have any type of like nervous habits, right? Um, and these are all going to be things that are going to flush out by just practicing. So I, I can't stress that enough. Really get good practice. And so towards the end, I think the last thing that you want to make sure that you're doing is um, don't forget to, to thank them for the interview. Make sure that when you're introducing yourself, you're, of course, looking them in the eyes and shaking their hand. Um, and then, you know, towards the end, you also want to thank them so much for the interview and shake their hand as well. Um, and of course, you know, just be make sure that you're maintaining good eye contact and being um, very respectful throughout the interview is, um, of course, very important. Okay, great. So one down, right? We just talked about the traditional interview. So now I kind of want to talk about what goes into the MMI, right? The multiple mini interviews. Now, this is a totally different beast, right? And it's something that most people have never had an experience with until a medical school interview. And it's quite unique as far as interviews go. Um, and so we've talked a little bit briefly about it. But basically, you're going to have a bunch of rooms set up. So there's they're different. Imagine them as stations, right? It can be anywhere from like 9, 10, 11, even 12 different stations, right? Um, and basically what they're going to do is they're going to give you a prompt. It's going to be some type of ethical scenario where you basically can look and you're going to have a couple minutes, maybe a minute or two to be able to read the prompt, prepare an answer and how you would deal and essentially how you would assess and attack the situation that they give you. And then you're going to walk into the room. You're going to shake, shake the, the interviewer's hand and you're just going to start talking. You're going to, you're going to give the answer of what you would say and what you would do in that situation. They may be able to ask you questions. They may interrupt. You generally have anywhere from five to seven minutes to do this and they might give you like a minute warning. And then when your time is up, you're done, you move on to the next station, they give you another minute and you go. It's really fast paced and it's really quick and it's very interesting <laughs> to say the least. So um, it requires, it's not overly challenging if you do a lot of good practice. And so I think it's something that can be overwhelming at first, but if you get a lot of good practice in, I think it, it, it should be a breeze. And we're hopefully going to be able to help you guys through that here. So um so the, the first thing I want to say is, is because the MMI is so unique, it, it might be worth just doing a quick Google search on it, right? Google, you know, medical school MMI interview. There's a couple good YouTube videos and some also some good articles that really will give you examples and show you examples of what it looks like. Um, you know, it'll give you examples of types of questions. And so I think they'll do much better than me trying to explain it to you. And so while I've given you a brief overview, I think it's worth going and just trying to, you know, make sure you're nailing down the structure. And again, each school will have its unique you know, factors about it and different ways that they do it. So they'll tell you in their in their emails. But traditionally, you know, you, you, you can get a good overview of what it's going to be like from just doing a quick Google search. So I would recommend first doing that. Next, 
I think the best way to practice this, and you can even do these on your own or you can do them you know, with friends. Uh, you definitely wanna do a little bit of both, but you can definitely practice a lot of these just on your own, just talking out loud to yourself. Um, and the best way to do this is to just go over some practice questions. So a resource that I found really great was um, if you Google BMO MMI, it's B-E-M-O-M-M-I, um, you know, there's like 200 different practice questions that BMO has. You can even search like BMO 200 MMI questions. They have a whole, a huge list of all these different practice questions that they'll give you. And honestly, I think I did them all when I was prepping. Um, maybe not all of them. That may have been an exaggeration, but I did almost all of them, if not all of them. And, and I think it really benefited me because the best way to study for this is just practice, practice, practice. So, um, there, there's also a there's also a YouTube course grinder and and there's like a Columbia Med MMI panel. So these are the things like if you Google you know YouTube MMI course grinder that'll come up um, for MMI prep. So there's there's tons of different like online resources in terms of like uh, practice questions and different strategies that they'll give you. So it's definitely worth doing some outside research on, but. Uh, I think you can also just use the BMO questions, look up the question, you know, give yourself a minute to, to assess the question, to read it, and then just start talking for five to seven minutes. Generally, they won't interrupt you. Sometimes some schools are different. Some schools, they'll have the, they may interrupt you in the middle of the MMI and then ask you a completely unrelated question. And so you have to make sure that you're able to kind of rebuttal. But I think just getting general practice is, is just really good just to just talk through them, just do as many as you possibly can. And before you go on an MMI in interview, you want to make sure you know that specific school's time limit per question, per MMI station. So you want to either look at the email they sent you or contact someone directly at that school and or go on the website and just make sure that you know, is the interview per station five minutes or is it seven minutes? And then will you have one minute to read the prompt or two or more? And this just this just matters in, in your preparation that you're going to want to do before you go to that MMI interview. There's a big difference between answering a prompt in five minutes versus seven minutes. But a good rule of thumb is to practice answering all prompts in five minutes so that you'll be prepared no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, this just really makes you prepared for any school because I don't think any school will ever give you anything under five minutes for the question. So if you're doing your own practice on your own and you're keeping your answers to five minutes at a maximum, it's going to, first of all, let you practice to be really concise, which is what they're looking for here is that you can provide really good, thoughtful, insightful answers in less in basically five minutes. And so if you if you have that cutoff point, you'll be prepared for any interview. But again, you can find all that information for the specific schools within their inter, within their uh, email and that they send you regarding, you know, being invited for the interview itself. Now we'd like to go over a practice MMI style question with you all and go over the best strategy as to how to answer this prompt. And we'll give you all of the details on how we would go about this question. So here's an example of an MMI question that we took directly from BMO's website. And I'm going to read it to you guys now. A physician picked up a car accident victim from the street and brought him to the ER in his car. He did not want to wait for an ambulance because the patient's condition was critical. Physical examination in the ER reveals quadriplegia. Is the physician liable for this consequence? Okay, so let's talk some strategies. So the first thing I want to say here is don't worry if you don't know the answer to the question, right? These questions aren't meant to have you produce the correct like technical answer to what the question is. They know that you're not going to know the answer for most of these. It's really just about your thought process and they want to make sure they're understanding how you're attacking it and that you're understanding from multiple perspectives. The biggest key to this is that you're giving all different perspectives and you're understanding all of the different outcomes. And then you give one example of, of an answer of how you think it should go, how, how you would answer the question, right? Give a decision that you would make and make sure you're backing it up with some, some facts. That's kind of the general layout, right? Acknowledge all different sides, acknowledge that it's difficult, and then pick an answer and then back up your answer with facts. That's the basic outline for what you wanna do here. Okay, so first you're gonna have about a minute to two minutes to kind of just kind of digest the question. They usually give it to you before you walk in the room on a piece of paper or on a prompt on a computer. So you'll be able to read it. You'll be able to start thinking about what your answers are, start thinking about the different perspectives that you want to talk about. And, you know, of course, start thinking about what it, the answer that you would give. Um, and so you'll have a little bit of time to think about this. Then you're going to knock on the door and you'll walk in the room and you're going to shake their hand, make make sure you have eye contact and introduce yourself. Hi, you know, my name is, my name is X, right? Um, and then you just want to kind of get right into the question. It's going to seem awkward. They're just going to say, hi, nice to meet you. And then they're just going to look at you and you just want to start talking because you need that as much time as possible. And so the first thing that you're going to want to say is reiterate the question. So 
basically you're going to want to say, okay, I just want to make sure that I'm understanding the question correctly. And then you would rephrase the question essentially in terms of making sure that you understand it. Even if you completely understand the question, rephrasing the question is just going to make sure that it's going to give you any last minute to find something that maybe you missed, but it's also just going to show that you're really thinking about the right answer and you're thinking about all, you know, the question and you're understanding it correctly. So what I would say is, you know, so I just want to make sure I'm understanding this question correctly. So this is about a physician who was in a car, who uh, saw somebody on the road that was in a car accident and looked to be in a critical condition. He picked him up in his car and brought him to the hospital. Um, and he ended up being, uh, he ended up that he ended up being quadriplegic. Um, and so the question is asking, is the physician liable for this consequence? Is that correct? And then the, the, you know, the instructor will usually say, yes, it is. And you'll say, okay, great. So that's the first thing that you want to make sure you nail is shake their hand, introduce yourself and make sure that you're reiterating the question. It may seem a little weird, but it's going to be really good to do. So the next thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to want to basically acknowledge that it's a very difficult situation and that there's multiple perspectives and that you're going to act without judgment and with compassion. So for this scenario, I would say something like, you know, this is a very difficult situation, one that involves multiple different perspectives. And when talking to this physician, I would want to make sure that I'm acting, you know, as uh, non-judgmental and very compassionate and as caring as possible. Something simple like that, right? It's just something that makes sure that it shows to the instructor that you're understanding that there's multiple different perspectives, that it's a difficult question, and that there may not be a right answer. And it's just, again, it's all about taking into consideration, into consideration different perspectives. And so it's important to do. Okay, so really the, the key and the meat to your MMI, right, is finding a balance between giving the different perspectives while off, also offering what you believe to be as the right choice to answer the question. So usually I start with um, something that talks about, you know, the perspectives from both sides, right? So for this question, I would say something like, you know, the physician has a responsibility to help others, right? That's kind of the core of a physician. So, you know, his instinct may be to want to help the the person that's struggling and in a critical condition and, you know, pick them up and, and go to the hospital, right? Um this is a very high pressure situation where he may not have had a lot of time to think. And so that may be, you know, hindering his ability to think critically and, and, you know, make an informed decision. Um, you know, he was probably only thinking about helping the patient, right? He, I'm sure that he did not have any ill intention in terms of when he went and actually tried to help that patient, right? Um, you know, but however, it's also important to consider the other perspective and the fact that, you know, the EMS vehicle, if he had waited and called for help, may have had necessary medical, you know, medical devices and, and be able to provide him better attention and possibly quicker and soon and better care um, in, in order to potentially prevent his quadriplegic state, right? So once you've talked about the multiple different perspectives in this question, when you've talked about, you know, the physician's perspective on the situation, you've talked about the EMS and the hospital's perspective on this situation, and, you know, what the right and wrong may be for each respective party, then you want to talk about what you think the right answer is and what you would do in this situation. So, for example, for a question like this, I would say something like, you know, um, although, you know, I, res I understand that the physician maybe have may have been acting in what he thought to be his best interest and the patient's best interest uh, in a very high pressure situation, you know, moving this patient may have jeopardized his, may have jeopardized his condition and, uh, you know, potentially caused something like a spinal cord injury because he moved him without the proper uh, medical care and medical devices that may have been handy with an EMS, right? So that that's an example of, you know, I understand that there's multiple perspectives, but here's what I believe the right answer and here's why, right? And here's a perfect time to be able to work in some some information that maybe is pertinent to you and some personal facts about yourself, right? Because what's really hard about the MMI is for to get them to really understand who you are and and you know get to know you. I think that's the biggest weakness of what MMIs kind of offer. And so if you can work in anything about your own experience in into this, I think it makes it really powerful. So for example, like I worked as a scribe in an emergency department for a year before I went to school, right? So I you could say in in, in your explanation of what you think is right or something like this, you could say, you know. From my experience working in an emergency department as described, you know, I know that it's very important not to move a patient that looks to be potentially, you know, injured on the ground. Um, and, you know, you don't want to make sure you're moving them without the proper medical care because it could, cause a it could cause a spinal cord injury, right? That just shows that you have a little bit of medical knowledge. You don't need to have that medical knowledge, but connecting it to you shows that you're thinking about the question, you're thinking about an answer, you know, you're, being, you're able to back it up with, with, with pertinent, um, you know, pieces of reinforcement for those for those answers and it, you may find out a little bit about yourself right because it, it's so hard to get that across so being able to make it personal and to offer up a piece of information about yourself shows you have a deeper understanding of the question you're thinking critically and it allows the you know to maybe you have a little bit more connection with your interviewer so i think knowing where you can kind of bring those in if you can aim to do that for every question and bring some piece of experience that you have or something about yourself and be able to use it as part of your explanation for why you think it's the right answer that would be so great so just think about those things right um so you know make sure your answer is is also you know 
just making sure you're concise again and, and being you know as concise as possible because again you only have five minutes and it's going to go a lot f- quicker than you think when you're actually in there talking so just make sure you're also being mindful of those things and keep an eye out for like maybe the one minute warning um so again you kind of give the right answer of what you think is okay and so after you give your answer, at this point, I think you want to start to acknowledge the things that you don't know and inf- more information that might be able to help you answer this question more thoroughly. So, you know, there's a lot of things in these questions that they purposely leave out and that, you know, may aid your question answering, right? So you want to think of hypotheticals that can help you answer the question. So, for example, in this scenario, you know, we don't know how far the patient was from the nearest hospital or medical care, right? So the the physician may have thought that he would have waited for too long and could have potentially been life-threatening had he not intervened and brought him to the hospital himself. Maybe they, you know, they live in a rural area. You know, so in that case, the physician may have been actually acting, you know, you know, may have been more justified in terms of bringing the physician, the patient to the hospital, right? So that's an example of a hypothetical that, you know, if I had this information, my answer might change. And you could also say, you know, also, you know, potentially the, the patient may have also already been in a quadriplegic state and the physician had assessed this and figured out that he was already in a quadriplegic state and thus didn't actually jeopardize this, this physician. This, this patient's case at all by bringing him into the hospital because he was already the quadriplegic. So in this case, he's not responsible, even though, you know, he did end up being in that state. It wasn't from the physician moving him, right? So there's different things that you want to think about and you can pose hypotheticals about more information and it's going to provide the examiner with, with you know, showing you that, that you have some critical thinking skills and that you can think a little bit outside the box and, you know, you can provide more information and it's okay. It seems like you're kind of going around the question, but it's actually really good. And that shows that you're, you're critically thinking. So again, give your decision and then give some information about what you don't know and some more information that might help you answer the question. But then again, you can end it. If you have time, you can end it with, but again, you know, with the information given, I would, would say that the physician, you know, is, is, is liable for the consequences, right? You, that's what you would kind of end it with. Um, and so again, be mindful of how long it is, right? You want to make sure that you're under five minutes. And the, the examiner could interrupt at any time and ask a completely unrelated question. So, you know, you may have to be prepared to kind of just drop what you're thinking and kind of move on and think of and start talking about something else. And that's okay, right? Part of it is thinking is being able to think on your feet and to react to new scenarios. So, you know, that can happen at any time. And also, if you finish early, they may be able to they may they usually will follow up with questions if you finished a little early, but you want to really make sure you're talking right around that five minute point. And this just comes with practice. So I just want to briefly review everything that we've talked about thus far in terms of the strategy for the MMI. So first, you start with reading the prompt. Then you're going to want to enter the room, shake their hand, make sure you're making eye contact, and introduce yourself. Then you want to restate the question to make sure that you're understanding it correctly. Next, you want to acknowledge that it's a very difficult situation, and you want to make sure that you're acting with with, a, with no judgment and acting very kindly and compassionately, taking into consideration each party's respective feelings. Next, you want to acknowledge all of the different parties' perspectives. So in this case, it was the physician and it was the hospital. But, you know, oftentimes there's questions that talk about a patient-physician relationship. In that case, you'd want to think about, you know, what's the perspective from the patient? What's the perspective from the physician? Also, any other stakeholders that, you know, that could be uh, at play here, you want to make sure that you're acknowledging all the different perspectives. So that's really the core of the MMI, right? So once you do that, then you want to make sure that you're giving the answer to the question and what you would do in that scenario. So make sure you give your answer. And of course, you want to be try to back it up with any personal information or personal touch that you can add that shows that you, you know, have some experience. Then you want to make sure you're ending with acknowledging the things that you don't know and posing some hypotheticals that might give you more information about how you would better answer the question. And then lastly, if you have some time, you can kind of just wrap up everything you've said and say, but despite this, here's my answer and what I would do. Once your time limit is up, you'll hear an announcement on the PA system. You can thank the physician for their time, shake their hand, and you leave the room and just make sure that you move on to the next question. I think something that's really hard is that, you know, if it goes really bad and, and there will be a couple stations that go poorly, it's, it's going to happen every single time. And you just have to make sure that you're okay with it. And a lot of what they're testing is your resilience. So it's, you know, when you leave the room, take a, take a breath, make sure you're try as best you can to forget about what just happened in there and move on to the next station because it's going to be a quick succession. You're not going to get a big break between the time that you end one and you start the other. So, you know, try the best you can to be resilient and just for, if you had a bad experience, it's okay. It happens to everyone. Forget about it and move on. It's not going to be make or break. You're not going to get a ding based on one bad station. I promise you. Okay. I know that was a lot and we just went over really the most traditional and kind of the most standard type of question that you get from MMI, but it's not the only type that you could get. You could also get some more kind of obscure questions. For example, you could get something like, again, this is right from BMO's website. Your five-year-old nephew asks you, why is the sky blue? How would you answer him using a series of simple scientific experiments? 
So that's kind of an example of something that's a little bit more abstract and definitely may not have a correct answer, but again, may ask you to think critically. And again, BMO has a lot of really good examples of this. So I think just getting practice with this is just the best way to study for it. But just be prepared that you may not just have a traditional medical science ethics based question. Lastly, you could also get a scenario where you're actually playing the doctor, right? So there's actually a scenario where you go into the room and you're acting like you're the physician or you're maybe a medical student and you're acting for the attending physician and you have to basically talk to the patient or patient's parents or, you know, basically just act in the scenario that they give you, right? Um, and so you may have to walk in and basically just kind of act cool, calm, and collected and make sure that you're showing compassion and empathy. And so I think that's the biggest thing that they want to see in these types of stations is because obviously they know that you don't have the examiner skills. You don't have the skills of a physician, right? You're, you know, you're not even in medical school yet, but that's not the point, right? And the point is also not for you to figure out the diagnosis necessarily and ask the right questions. Really, the point of this is just to make sure that you're acting cool and collected and that you're acting really compassionately and having a good conversation with the, you know, basically the actor who's there. So, you know, again, I think sitting down, you know, with them, making sure that you're at their level and that you're just having, you know, you're not using big scientific words. You're just very basically just having a good conversation with them. You're not, you know, raising your voice. You're not getting frustrated if it's a difficult situation, right? You're just, you're showing empathy. You know, you're saying, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that if they're in pain, you know, you're just acting very compassionately and that you're, it shows that you're understanding, you know, their pain and their situation. I think that's the biggest thing that you want to do here is just kind of, you know, be able to communicate well with them. That's the best. That's really the, the main thing that they're testing. So just stay calm, make sure that you're, you know, trying to connect with them as much as possible and just kind of act compassionate and, and really, um, you know, caring for that person or that, that actor in the situation. And I think you're, you're good to go with that. And if you don't know something, maybe they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. It's okay to be honest and say, you know, I don't know the answer to this. I'm going to have to go and talk to the attending physician. Unfortunately, I can't give you that answer at this time. So, you know, that's just something to keep in mind that you don't have to know all the answers, even if they're asking you really hard questions. Again, it's more about the communication skills and less about your actual medical knowledge. All right, we made it through the two standard strategies for both the types of medical interviews. You guys are awesome for sticking with me through that. I know that was a lot of information I just threw at you guys, but hopefully I gave you some helpful strategies. And the last thing that I want to say regarding to all this is just practice, practice, practice. We've said it time and time again, but just especially for the MMIs in particular, go through these, time yourself at five minutes, set a five minute cap, and just go through as many of these as you can. Just talk them out loud, do them with friends, family. All of these tips are going to make you the best possible interviewer, and it's going to give you a lot of practice. It's also important to keep in mind that you can use your pre-health department at your undergraduate school that you attended to help you study for this process. So for example, you know, my school had an ability to go and actually interview online and did it over Zoom uh, with someone in the pre-health department and do a mock interview. So they asked me some MMI questions, some traditional questions, you know, we went, we acted as if he was an actual interviewer. And then we had a debriefing session after where he, you know, gave me some points on how I could do better and how I, you know, could improve and some things that I did well. So it just gives you some kind of things to think about. And those are great resources to use. And so I would highly recommend looking into that if you, if you have that ability. Even if you are a couple years out of school, you took some gap years, you can always reach back out to your um, health department at the school you attended and they're hopefully willing to help and, and should have a program similar to that. And so doing a mock interview, I think can really help. All right. So I know we've talked a lot about preparing for the interview and the best strategies to do that. And now what we'd like to talk about preparing for your interview day itself. So it's important to think about what you want to wear during your interview. So think about this well in advance and I would recommend for women to wear something business professional, let's say a pantsuit or something similar with a skirt, for example. And for men, I would also recommend a suit with a tie. Yeah, definitely. I would also recommend kind of trying to stand out if you can. You don't want to be too flashy, but um, I think it's important to, to give them something to remember you by. So like, for example, my favorite color is pink and I wore a pink shirt with a purple tie with flowers on it. Um, it wasn't anything too flashy, but it definitely was unique. I, I didn't see anybody else in any of the interviews with anything like that, like a pink shirt or, or a different colored tie like that. Um, and I also wore some spotted socks. Um, so just it just is a little subtle thing that can maybe make you stand out and, and make the interviewers uh, kind of remember you a little bit more. And, um, you know, I think it gave me a little bit of confidence kind of going in, into the interview. So something to consider. And you may also want to keep in mind potentially um, having a nice clean shave uh, and also potentially getting a haircut before your interview. And everybody has their own unique styles and, and look that they want to go for. So it's definitely okay to skip this, but just something to keep in mind. 
And something else to consider for your interview day would be airfare, travel fare, as well as hotel room fare. All of these prices can add up and they can be costly, especially if you're traveling a great distance to interview. So you want to plan for this well in advance. And let's say, for example, you can't afford this or you don't think you will be able to afford these costs. You can also look into your your college's health um, pre-health department and potentially apply for scholarships or different funds that they have for students that might be available. It would be worth looking into. And it's very important to get into a good sleep schedule about a week leading up to your interview date. So I'd recommend, you know, going to bed early and practicing getting up uh, uh, at the time that you would expect to wake up the morning of your interview, at least a few days before your scheduled interview. And so a few days before your scheduled interview, when you're waking up at that early time, it's important to map on your phone the directions from, let's say, your hotel to your location of your scheduled interview. And you want to map that at the exact time in the morning that you plan to be leaving for your interview so that you know the scheduled traffic and um, how much time it will take you to get to your interview. That way you can plan when you need to wake up accordingly. And if you're working during this interview time, it's important to think about taking off work if you can, specifically the day before your interview and then the day of your interview. And I would recommend arriving the day before your interview around midday in order for you to leave time for yourself to scope out the area that includes finding a parking garage and then taking the drive from, let's say, your hotel or wherever you're staying to your interview location and knowing where you're going to park and that... I would, I would also even recommend getting out of your car once you're at your interview location the day before, walking into the building and trying to find the room of where you're supposed to meet the morning of your interview. I would also recommend not eating anything too crazy the night before your interview. Just eat something normal that is part of your regular diet. Okay, so for the morning of, you're just going to want to make sure that you wake up at your you know, normally scheduled time that you've been prepping for. Uh, you know, you've already mapped out the traffic and know exactly how long it's going to take. So make sure you get there just a little bit early. Make sure that, you know, I would I would plan to get there like maybe 15 minutes early just so you can make sure that you're on time. Um, and there's a couple things that you might want to think about bringing with you. Uh, you can bring a backpack and so definitely pack some water. Uh, you can pack some snacks if you need to because you never know what they're going to serve you there. Um, generally, you want to plan that it's pretty much going to be an all-day event. I would say generally they're usually from like 8 to like 3 like because they're going to want to give you a tour. There's going to be a lot of information sessions that you have to attend. So um, generally, they're going to they're provide you like a breakfast and potentially a lunch. Um, and they're going to at least give you one meal. So um, you may want to, they'll probably lay this out for you in their like schedule of when they send you the uh, in, the interview email. So you can check it out. But um, you may, you may want to plan on eating breakfast in the morning or maybe not, um, depending on if they serve it to you. And I would also recommend in your backpack bringing a, a pen and a notepad. Um, that way you can take notes on the things that you're, you hear at the school. Maybe you can take some individual notes on you know, what you like, what you don't like, some of the important pieces of information that they give you in some of their presentations. Um, and of course, just make sure you're active and attentive pretty much the whole time. Um, it's good to get to know your other interviewers. Um, everyone's going to be really great and really friendly. And it's going to be, uh, they're definitely going to also watch the way that you interact with others. So um, it's important to keep in mind that you're kind of always on an interview throughout the whole process, even when you're kind of not with the interviewers, even with the medical students. Um, so just make sure you're being yourself. You don't want to act fake or act kind of too, too, you know, overly genuine. Um, you want to just make sure you're being yourself. Um, and, and, you know, not looking like you're trying too hard. Um, but also, you know, making friends and, and talking and, and, you know, I think asking the medical students, you're going to have a chance to talk to some medical students, um, asking them really honest questions about how they like the school, any questions that you have, um, you know, make sure that during the tour, you're very attentive and that you're not, you know, you're acting professionally because that's also, they're probably interviewing you during the tour as well. Um, so just kind of be prepared for a nice long day of a lot of walking, a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions. Um, and just again, make sure that you're just kind of prepared for all of those things. Towards the end, uh, I would make sure that you're thanking anybody that you can, any of the interviewers, especially if it's a, if it's the uh, traditional interviews, you can thank them right after you're done, give them a handshake, make sure you thank them for their time, um, as well as any of the deans or anybody who you're able to talk to or see before you leave the interview site, um, making sure you're just saying thank you and showing your appreciation is always welcomed. And then the last thing I want to talk about after you leave is the thank you letters. So 
Uh, generally speaking, if you have an MMI where you just have only multiple mini interviews, you're not going to need to send any thank you letters because you're oftentimes not going to know who the people were because you've only met them very briefly. Um, and so it's not necessary for those types of interviews. But if you have a hybrid where you get one traditional or if you have uh, a traditional exam or interview where you have, you know, two a faculty and a student, make sure you're writing down their names when you're in the interview so you so you remember who they are um, and you actually are able to have that information so you can look up on the website who they are and send them a thank you letter uh, email, or you can handwrite it and, and address it to their, you know, to their office address, potentially, but um, sometimes it's easier to just do an email. Um, and just make sure you're thanking them for their time, say how much of a wonderful time you had, try to maybe bring up a piece of information that you learned that you thought was really great, or that something unique about that specific interview, uh, you know, a tidbit of information that you guys talked about, uh, just make sure again, you say thank you, and, and you, you know, you hope to see them again in the future or something like that. Um, even if they tell you don't send, uh, do not send, thank you letters. I think it's still, if it's a traditional interview, it's still pertinent to send it. I think you still should send them. Um, so just something to think about that you want to make sure that you definitely do. Um, it goes a long way. All right, guys, we're pretty much done. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, I, I want to just briefly kind of end with two quick interview points here. Um, the first is that um, to try to kind of make sure that you're checking your email consistently throughout this whole process because it is a long process i mean you can hear back anywhere from august all the way through basically february you can kind of interview in anywhere in that time so it's important to make sure that you're checking your email regularly that you use to fill out your amcats application because you can get an email literally at any time and it can be pretty last minute also and and oftentimes the spots fill up quickly especially if you get those early interviews because you want to make sure you're interviewing as early as possible so don't dilly-dally if you see that you get an interview. Try to schedule it as quick as possible because sometimes those early spots fill up quickly and you're gonna ha- if you wait too long, you'll end up basically having to interview later and it could end up hurting you if it's, for example, after October 15th. So um, I would recommend trying to check your email as, as often as you possibly can um, and just make sure you're trying to schedule those interviews early. And don't get discouraged if you get waitlisted, especially if you end up interviewing after October 15th. There's a good chance that even if the interview goes perfectly, you may be waitlisted. And that's okay, because unlike undergrad, tons of people get in off the waitlist. It's really like a, a really a shell moving game where a lot of people will rescind their applications once they get into their top schools. Because it's a rolling admission, there's so much turnover and 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 you know, switching around that goes on. And it's very common to get in off the waitlist. Even at the last minute, you can get in off the waitlist in July. So don't get discouraged. It's no secret that this is a very stressful process. This will be one of the more stressful times you have to go through. And so I think it's important just to kind of take a deep breath and relax and and know that it's going to work out. Um, You know, the best way to prep for being for these interviews, honestly, is to just be yourself is to not overthink it. And you know, you want to make sure you're well prepared, but really just make sure that you're, you're just being true to who you are and yourself. And if you're being true to you, then it's going to come across in the interview. They really just want to make sure that you're a good person. That's really what they're looking for here is that you've done enough work to be able to prepare and that you're smart, but they know that, right? I mean, they know that from your application. They know that from your extracurriculars that you're a smart kid, right? So what they're really wanting to see is that you can interact well with others and that you're just genuinely a good person and would fit well with the other students there at the school. So I think if you're being yourself, you really can't go wrong. Congratulations. You finished the six keys to unlocking your acceptance in medical school. We hope to have given you the best strategies and the best tips and tricks to be able to make yourself the most competitive applicant and give you the best chance to get into your top medical school. We hope it's been helpful, and we really appreciate everybody who's listened and helped us along the way. Stay tuned for our next and final episode, where we interview a couple different students from other departments within the field of medicine, where they talk about their experience applying to their respective fields. So thank you so much for listening, and good luck out there. Until next time on Admission Granted.